A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today, if you thought the Monday Night Wars between WWE and WCW was a big rivalry, they ain't got nothing on Marvel versus DC. That's right. This rivalry started over half a century ago and began about comic books. And it's now evolved to movies. That's right. Marvel Comics versus DC Comics. My guest today, Reed Tucker, wrote a great book about it. It's called Slugfest. Inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC. And wait till you hear some of his stories. Incredible stuff about insider spying undercutting prices on comics, and stealing artists and writers, too. He talked to some of the legendary players from both companies and unearthed all sorts of ridiculous stuff, cool stuff, stuff you're going to need to know if you love comics, even if you don't. Of course, we talk about our favorite comics and our favorite characters, who's the most popular, which one generates the most money in merch and sales, and what it took for Marvel to overtake DC Comics and then dominate the movie box office as well. Reed's got some theories on why DC is struggling on the big screen, what makes Marvel work so well, and what the future may hold for both. So let's start talking Batman, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Aquaman, X-Men, and even some obscure characters like Wonder Man and Power Man. That's a good one, Power Man. Find out what happened to the comic book Haiti and whether there will ever be another iconic comic book character introduced in our lifetime. It's a great show. So here we go with Reed Tucker. It's the Marvel versus DC Mega War, and it starts now. Right, so um, I'm here. Uh, it's always great meeting a, a, a strange man in a hotel room, isn't it? Yeah, nothing suspicious here at all. <laughs> nothing yeah. suspicious. I just knock gonna, on the door. I'm going to Weinstein you now. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, I may do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with uh, with Reed Tucker, who um, has written a, a great book, which is something that I'm very interested in, and I know a lot about, but not a lot about. It's called Slugfest, and it's about the ongoing war or rivalry. Between yeah. DC and Marvel Comics. Um, first off, why did you decide to delve so so deeply into this? 
Yeah, well, for one, nobody else had done it, which is crazy. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's one of those ideas that's so obvious. You're like, well, somebody must have done it. And then you look and they haven't done it. So and right now it seems like with the movies, you know, it's just top of mind for everyone. It's like Mm -hmm. it's it's moved from the comic book stores and now it's like a multi-billion dollar business. So I thought, you know, somebody needs to write about this. And I looked into the history and there's all kinds of weird stories and like petty infighting between the two companies going back. So. I thought it made a good topic for a book. It's interesting because there's something that, that you said uh, in one of the interviews that I read, um, how you say there's, there's no other, uh, I guess, uh, brands that there's two. Yeah. And you mentioned Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, this exactly. This is kind of the only other example right. of that. Which is crazy. And I know you read comic books, you said, growing mm-hmm. up. But it's amazing that no other company or no other superheroes can take a can really get a foothold. It's like these two companies have basically ruled the industry since they started in the 30s. And then since the 60s, they've been really the only two games in town. So that's crazy to me. And now with the movies... You know, they're, they're it's it, a whole really. new level, right? Yeah, it's a whole new level. There was like, always little upstart companies that tried to come in and out. That's right. Is it kind of like one of those things, like, like for example, in wrestling, if it's not WWE, it's very hard to sell it because when people yeah. think wrestling, they think WWE. Right, right. When you think comics, you think Marvel, DC. Right, so. and at this point, they're so established, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to come along and bring bring out a new superhero that anyone cares about. Who is so. the third, if you had to pay? Is there, a, is there a third, even a distant third? I mean, you know, Image Comics, um, it publishes a lot of good stuff. I think they have about 10% of the market, but they don't really have any marquee superheroes. They publish creator-owned stuff from people that's it's really nice, diverse uh, line of comics but, but it's really based much like you know Muskin wrestling or saturday night live yeah. where you have to have the top star that that character that <laughs> yeah. really clicks yeah exactly and in comics though they live forever because we're still talking to this day about superman and batman and spider-man yeah there'll be a flash and all these guys yeah forward. exactly it's a legacy business mm-hmm. you know a lot of reasons that people are so interested in batman and superman is because they're so old you know that everyone grew up with them and they have this real history that it's nice to kind of delve into so yeah it's a i think it's going to stay this way basically forever. forever yeah do you remember gold key comics yeah i do I remember those did key. you really that's my third <laughs> those are from the 50s right kind well of like yeah a... they would take it with a more like cartoon like like donald yeah. duck and ah, those type okay. of things when i was a kid i had a lot of gold key they must have been readily available or something like that were you buying them or somebody else no, giving was, them to you yeah, yeah no, okay I, I, you know comics like i'm not sure how old, how old are you are I'm you 44 okay so we're almost the same age yeah 47 so okay. back in those days comics were very accessible right you would go to the drugstore buy them off the rack i remember every time i got sick you'd get a couple comic books uh, and be yeah. so excited here going yeah. the plane but it was it was um more along the lines of you just kind of read whatever was available <laughs> right you know yeah because sometimes you go to the drugstore and they don't have a huge selection exactly. they have so you're like well i guess i'll get wonder woman or green lantern or yeah, whatever you it know it wasn't so like you... you go to a comic book shop per se you, right. like you said go to the drugstore and whatever they yeah. had you would get do you remember the first comic you ever bought um well just... another one i was gonna say was i was a big archie comics fan okay and they would have the digests and mm-hmm. they would come out like on the 22nd of every month and i remember waiting like yeah you know on the 19th there's only two more days till the digest comes out <laughs> i will say this the, I, I don't remember the first comic but i do remember that um i i left two comics on a plane once and i was so devastated but by total circumstance when i got on the next plane someone had left two comics in their area it's like paying it forward so yeah so I, I remember that one of them was valkyrie Ooh, what's that i think it's is it marvel i think it's marvel okay. like one of those very obscure like yeah i'm sure somebody out there at talk is jericho let me know where uh valkyrie was involved but the other one was um my aunt had a cabin 
and there was an actual mint condition copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 17. What? That must have ended up there because it was like a family cabin that had been around for you know dozens and dozens and dozens of years. So somebody yeah. must have bought it. And I remember I still have it. Like it was wow. mint box and board it back in the day is what you did. Amazing. Right? How about you? Uh, the first one I ever bought, well, the first one I ever bought, I think, was like Green Lantern 196. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, back in the day, they used to give away comic books and cereal boxes. I don't know if you remember that wow. post, like Honeycomb. You'd open up Honeycomb <laughs> and you'd dig to the bottom of the box and there'd be like a Batman comic in there, like covered in the cereal was dust. Was it a small one or a big yeah. one? I no, it was those. a small, yeah, small one. one. Yeah. You remember those? Yeah. It comes in a plastic uh, Exactly. Thing. Yeah. So I looked on eBay a couple months ago to see what that was. And they're, you know, they still, they sell them now. So I think it was from 1979 post cereal. So I okay. would have been about six years old. That's the first one i can really remember getting and reading and being really excited I about too there was treasuries remember those the big comics oh yeah and, and they would have like the one yeah. that was uh, superman versus muhammad ali you have that one i have that one that's amazing and that the, cover's amazing I, I talked with kevin smith about that you could see there's farrah fawcett and there's yep. you know johnny carson all the big stars of the day stan lee or stan lee yeah, right on the really, cover of a dc yes it's so funny it's beautiful so let's talk about this like and, and i'm sure there's a lot to get into but where did this rivalry all start? And give us a brief kind of history on how it even, how, how which one was first? How did it even begin? Yeah, so DC was first, but only by a couple of years, which is not something I think most people know, is that Marvel also started in the 1930s. Uh, so, right, but they... You know, DC really kicked things off when they published Superman. And so after Superman came out in 1938, there was like this gold rush where all these other publishers tried to jump in on the whole superhero game. And Marvel was one of them. So Marvel was kind of a more of a fly-by-night publisher. And they published Marvel Comics number one. They introduced the Submariner and the Human Torch. Those were their first superheroes. But then superheroes kind of fell out of favor. DC kept publishing superheroes. And it wasn't until the 60s. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby came along, and they introduced all those Marvel characters that we know of now. You know, Stan Lee, obviously, he, he's kind of the iconic, you know, dude. But he yeah. really did kind of take control of. Was he kind of the CEO of Marvel Comics, or was he just? Yeah, some guys get credit when maybe it wasn't uh, necessarily the case. Yeah, it depends on who you talk to. There's a lot of debate in the comic book world about who did what, and Stan Lee is a very good self promoter. He's very good with <laughs> right, media, yeah. and so. I think there's a lot of hurt feelings among people he worked with as far as he thinks that they're hogging the credit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talk to some people who are real Jack Kirby fans, and they'll say he did everything. You'll talk to Stan Lee fans, and they'll say he did everything. Because Jack Kirby was the artist or the writer? He was the artist. Right. But, you know, he claims Stan Lee would just give him basically a very short synopsis of, okay, the Fantastic Four fight the Mole Man. And then it would be up to Jack Kirby to really lay out everything, figure out the pacing, figure out the plot points, bring it back. Stan Lee would dialogue it. So... You know, I don't know. I think that they're, they both contributed a whole lot um, to, to, to Marvel. Just that stand, like I said, sometimes guys just become the icon, and yeah. you know, maybe he was co-writing a lot of it, but he's the guy that gets the credit. Exactly, right? and I do think he had this vision for taking comics in a new direction. So, you know, what DC had been doing prior to the 60s was these comics were very much aimed at children. You know, Batman was – it was just very juvenile kind of stuff. It was the giant props. Yes, exactly. You know, the I giant love, penny in his yeah. Yeah, the yeah, cave, go like, it's know. the giant museum where there's a giant pencil and right, you know, all the time. Yeah, so if you look at some of the stuff they were doing in the 50s, it's just kind of ridiculous stuff. Bob and Kane. Bob Kane, yeah, also a ridiculous yeah, yeah. man. Um, but then Marvel came along in the 60s you know, with Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, and they really put a new, more mature spin on these superheroes. They made them more human. You know, I'm sure people have heard this story a million times. So, But, um, 
you know, so then they they kind of caught DC a little bit flat-footed. Marvel started really busting out with sales in the early '60s, and then what what, what caught like what? Why would the sales have increased? Was there a certain character or? Just yeah. the whole vibe of the comics? I think just the whole vibe. You know, the 60s came along. It was a different time. Anti-heroes were kind of in fashion. And also Marvel was able to attract a whole group of readers that really weren't reading comics before. You know, a bit older readers, some college students, maybe even some adults. These are not readers that DC was getting before. They were mostly focusing on, you know, 8 to 12-year-old children. And so when Marvel sales really started busting out, DC knew what Marvel sales were doing um, because they were distributing the comics. And so they would look at it and they didn't really understand what was going on. So it took them a few years to figure out, oh, Marvel's doing something different. And by then it was almost too late for them to change. And so they spent the 70s and some of the 80s clumsily trying to catch up to what Marvel was doing by kind of changing their style. And they can't ever really do it. And even to this day, you know, you see with the movies that they're still trying to figure out a way to make Superman appeal to a modern audience. And you know, they've got this version that Zack Snyder's done that's very dark. And um, and I'm not sure that's the way to really present Superman. You know? It's interesting because I always found, um, and, and just to kind of set the tone, mm-hmm. we I was a big comic kid when I was in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Know, box and board and, and the, the comic book's guide to, what's the pricing guide? The comic book pricing guide to get that yeah. every year for Christmas. I was always a DC guy. Yeah. And I'm really not sure the reason why. Actually, I, I was Batman was my guy. Like Bob Kane, they, they also talk about Digest, which was like small uh, kind of novel-sized comics. Yeah. They, they put out the series of all 50s Batman. Uh-huh. So I read all the 50s Batman, obviously not the originals, but I really liked the whole concept of Batman. But then it seemed that Marvel was always kind of cooler, yep. especially when you talk about the 60s. There was a, a Spider-Man cartoon mm. that came out around that time. They used to show in Canada like every day. But it was always kind of trippy, and they'd always go like to dance clubs, and like there'd be <laughs> people dancing and drinking, yes. and like it just seemed like it was a much cooler universe yeah. than DC's universe was. Yeah, and in part because it was developed mostly in the '60s. You know, there were some heroes, Captain America and the Human Torch, that were developed before then. But it's mostly that Marvel's heroes are have a much more modern sensibility, and I think that carries over to this day, where DC does not. And like you said, they're much less cool they're kind of square you know batman i agree with you i think he was the coolest dc hero because he's probably the closest to a marvel hero well he was the closest kind of the tony stark because they talk about how dark he is but he's also he's a bachelor he's rich yeah he's always having parties and hanging out with the hot chicks and stuff like that right you know and i thought that that i think batman to me was the reason why it was my, my flagship guy right. and it was cooler than anybody else but maybe Marvel had some more interesting guys than DC yeah, did. Maybe, and also Batman didn't have superpowers. Did that appeal to you? That he was it just did. kind of a regular yeah, he's guy? A really smart, athletic detective. Right, you yeah. You know, more than anything. Right, because Superman, I mean, I feel like the hardest job probably in the entire world nowadays is writing Superman. Like, mm-hmm. how he's omnipotent. You know, he basically has right. one weakness. And how, after 80 years of stories, do you find something new to say about that character? That's why I always loved and, and it's never changed for me. Uh, Chris Reeves' portrayal of, of Superman. Which I love, too. It's because, you know, when he's Clark Kent, like, he's a nerd. Yeah. He's awkward. And whether he's just playing that part or not, he does such a great job. And I also love the fact, I know we're talking about movies, but look, it always looks like there's something a little bit off about him. Like, he's a big guy, good-looking guy, but he looks a little bit nuts. Like, you wouldn't want to go confront him where these other guys are just like Ken dolls. That They're not tough to me. But 
Christopher Reeve looked tough. He made Superman much more accessible, cool, fun. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like I said, it's a movie, not a comic, but that might be the way you might want to write it now. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I agree with you. That's my Superman. You know, he represented everything right. that I think is great about Superman that they've kind of gotten away from now with the Zack Snyder movies, at least in my opinion. You know, I agree. Superman I don't even know who Superman is now. Well, exactly. What is his personality? But, I mean, what well, drives him? You know, and, and who is the guy? Uh, it's it, well, it was Brandon Ruth before, and now it's this guy Henry Cavill. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they've had two Supermans, and neither one of them was uh, didn't really fit. Yeah, it didn't really fit. And now Superman's killed the villain in the Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was yeah, weird, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He never he never killed anybody before, right? Right. Well, in the comics, sometimes he did, but they're they, you know they set up certain you know traps where he he kind of had to do it. It was always the, a moral dilemma for him. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I think some of those are kind of out of continuity. But I think if you ask the editors and the people at DC Comics officially, like does Superman kill? The answer would be probably absolutely not. Even mm-hmm. though there have been, you know, in the 80 years, there have been a few instances where he has killed but people. But the overall vibe is... The, the overall same, vibe right? is, yeah, he probably doesn't. Neither so does let, Batman. Let's, let's talk more about the rivalry. And tell me about some of the actual things. So Marvel and DC, they're both the, the leaders, and, and it, are, are there some chicanery going on between yeah. the two? And Yeah, oh, all sorts, man. There's a, a bunch of instances where they've found spies in each other's offices um, from really? the other company. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it, tell us about that. Well, so there's a few instances the one my favorite one was this was around 1971 uh so dc was still the leader at that time and um uh, this guy named Carmine Infantino was running DC. Remember him? You know, he used to draw the Flash. Yeah. yeah. Great artist. Great artist. Yeah. Maybe not a great manager, but a great artist. <laughs> uh, so basically they discovered that there was somebody who was working in the DC production department who was working late at night because he worked in production. And so he would go through people's desks, including Carmine Infantino's, and try to steal intel. So then he would leak that intel to the fanzines at the time and also maybe to Marvel. So, you know, DC was getting kind of pissed off about this, and Carmine Infantino tried to launch this, like, World War II-style counter-espionage op against this dude. They even had a nickname for the op. They called it Blockbuster. So Infantino printed up a memo on official DC letterhead that was this fake memo. He just made something up, printed it up, and said that DC was going to start releasing these 500-page comics. Which is ridiculous, you know, because (laughs) comics at the time were, what, you know, 30 pages or whatever it was. So... He printed this memo up that was totally fake just to catch the spy. Uh, they left it in the outbox on his desk, and then they just kind of waited. You know, they baited the trap. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, people are starting to talk about that there's DC's going to release these 500-page wow. comics. Stan Lee starts talking about that he's going to match their 500-page comics. And if you look back at the fanzines at the time, there's actual news reports that say, you know, we've got this rumor that the DC's coming out with these huge, you know, these giant-sized comics. And uh, So he knows for sure there's a mole. He knows for sure. And so they caught the mole this way. Um, but, you know, I would hope that, like, something bad would happen to him. But apparently all they did was they didn't let him work nights anymore. <laughs> you know, which is kind of ridiculous. They didn't even fire the dude. You know, the comics they just... take him down the mailroom and whip him well, or something right. like that. You know, yeah. you want a, like a, a something out of a Martin Scorsese movie where <laughs> yeah. you know they, they get out of vice. Uh, but no, that was it. They just didn't let him work nights anymore. But there was enough of a rivalry between the two. They're both vying for the same market that you're going to have those sort of things. Definitely, you know. And there's all sorts of things about you know they're trying to steal talent from one another. It's also been a big story over the years. Um, Jack Kirby, you know, we, he was basically stolen away by DC in 1970 and that was a huge huge like interesting bomb that rocked the industry because he was 
almost stood in for Marvel as much as Stan Lee did. He was probably more as much responsible, like we were talking about earlier, as Marvel's success. So um, that was a huge bombshell. So is, and, is it like, once again, I was kind of equated back to, to, to wrestling with WCW and WWE, the, the wrestling wars, mm-hmm. and to bring over, let's, for example, when they brought over the NWO, Hulk Hogan and Scott Hall. Right. Nash, they paid a lot of money to make them to get them to jump companies. Is that what they would do with Jack Kirby? Well, exactly. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I don't know if it's the same in wrestling. It probably is, but then the fans are so invested in these people that they almost feel betrayed that they would go to these other companies. And so it's sort of a risk for these people. But yeah, you know, they want more uh, maybe creative control of the things they promised him. Jack Kirby left because the contract that Marvel was offering him, he thought was kind of crap. Um, and he also was resentful of Stan Lee hogging all the credit. And so Carmen Infantino at the time offered him a chance to basically do whatever he wanted, give him more money, let him work from his house, all these things. Um, it's pretty it's interesting. It's funny, though, because Jack Kirby, I'm thinking all the stuff he did with Marvel, but I'm not familiar with anything he did with DC. Yeah, so he started um, – it's funny. you know, he, he went over to DC with this huge fanfare. They started running all these ads. It's like you know they call him the king. The king is coming. The king is coming for months and months and months. It was the biggest story. He gets to DC, and the title they put him on is uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, Wow. Yeah, so that's where he started. They kind of eased him in, but then he had this whole grand group of titles that he wanted to start called The Fourth World, which was his own creation, and that's what we're seeing now with a little bit with um, this new Justice League movie. That's the villain, Steppenwolf, comes from his whole fourth oh, world. Okay. Do you know Darkseid, that villain? No, that's uh, Jack Kirby, though? Yeah, he started that. Uh, he created that. And so he launched these titles, Mr. Miracles, another one, um, in the early 70s uh, that were his own creations. And that was what he'd been really chomping at the bit to do at Marvel. They wouldn't let him or they wouldn't pay him enough for the titles. So he went to DC and... They kind of fizzled, unfortunately. You know, it's interesting. Like, I, I bet you at the time, whoever was, if it's Carmine Infantino, which I always thought was Carmine, Carmine Infante for some reason. <laughs> you know, you're a kid when you read, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they're probably thinking, okay, this is, listen, they're probably, this Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Kids love this guy or chicks love it. We're going to get, we're going to make Jimmy Olsen the next big thing. We're putting Jack Kirby with Jimmy Olsen. They're probably like, yes, what a great way to go. <laughs> yeah. Now looking back, it's a funny thing. But at the time, they probably had big plans for Jimmy Olsen. It's crazy, though. You should read the uh, issue before Jack Kirby arrives and the issue after he arrives. And the issue before, it's like totally juvenile kid stuff. There's an issue where Jimmy Olsen, like, captures Superman's tears and turns into a superhero by using Superman's tears. I mean, it's just stupid stuff like that. And then Jack Kirby arrives and the whole thing just goes completely off the rails. It's like an acid trip with these weird villains and like weird concepts and crazy costumes. And And that's how it was, but that's also how it was, um, uh, advertised the title was Superman's pal yes. in smaller letters it, Jimmy Olsen yeah exactly right? yeah, yeah exactly well I mean who knows I mean the story it just depends on who you believe the story Jack Kirby likes to tell is that was the one title DC had that did not have a permanent creative team he did not want to take he did not want to come to DC and kick somebody off their gotcha. title and cost them a job who knows now the story other people tell is that they didn't quite trust him they wanted to bring him in because he was that more of a marvel two. guy yeah so they kind of especially they, with all these moles going back and forth yeah. hey man who's to say that you know hey, go over there and let them pay you money and then report back to exactly us. and it's funny because the what jack kirby was doing when he got to dc was really top secret so that he worried he thought marvel was going to steal some of his concepts for him so he was keeping his books under lock and key dc was very worried that marvel was going to steal them oh. but 
But one day, Jack Kirby's assistant went over to Marvel and he found photocopies of Jack Kirby's upcoming comics tacked up on the wall. So apparently somebody that was working with Jack Kirby uh, photocopied it and then leaked it to Marvel. So it's like stuff like that was always happening. Double crossing each other completely. Just crazy. Yeah. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Picture this rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018, from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. What year or years were like Marvel and DC their most popular? You mean with the highest circulation? Yeah, like collectively. Like was it the seventies? Is it the sixties? Is Yeah, it depends. I mean, DC was huge in the forties in part because they had Superman. So Superman was selling like a million copies an issue and Gosh. you know Yeah, because they had that you know, the T V show, the cartoon, the radio show, and so Superman was like an it was icon. Also like, wasn't like also Captain America and Super they're very patriotic during yeah, wartime exactly. heroes, right? Yeah. Yeah, you love that first issue of Captain America, he's like knocking out Hitler. Yeah, have you lit, seen that? Lit, you know, yes, that famous he's literally one? punching Hitler. Don't you love that? Like, <laughs> I just love that they do this. It's just like straight up propaganda. You but never I, I do love that it. Now, right? You could not exactly. Well, it's just like EC comics, the ones that had no comic code, where they just have all these horrible, like right. terrible, like slasher horror movie things with people getting their stomachs ripped out and their, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's because there was no rules. Right? Did you ever read those oh, yeah, as a kid? I actually Did you went, went back and bought the? Uh, they they published them all um, as not treasuries, but as anthologies, like coffee table books. Yeah, and I bought them but they were in black and white but they were still really gross ec comics was it was called that's right i remember there was a famous cover where it's somebody holding an axe and holding a woman's decapitated head and that because there was no ratings no rules just do whatever you want it's unbelievable and you know uh captain america punching out hitler is kind of in that that zone for sure i love to think of parents in the 40s or take their kid to the five and dime grab them a comic book you know they come back with one of these ec comics it was like a you know a decapitated head on the front right yeah, it's pretty good. So, um, but you're saying Superman sold a million copies? Yeah, then. and you know, in the '60s when there was a Batman TV show, Batman also probably sold about a million, about nine hundred thousand to a million copies. How but ever since then, um, you know, circulation has been declining, as we know, with all all print outlets have Absolutely, been declining. Yeah. And so, you know, the '60s was probably the heyday of Marvel. Um, they overtook DC in sales in 1972, so they were doing pretty well then. But you know, it's 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 on a gradual decline. Uh, Is that on since. the backs in '72 overtaking DC on the backs of what characters, what titles? Uh, well, I mean, also uh, Spider Man was their hugest title. That was probably their number one title. But they, you know, they had all X Men was mm-hmm. also um, big for a while, especially starting in the mid '70s. Um, you know, they had they had. Great. Are all these being created by Stan Lee, or is he getting the credit at least? To- yeah, I mean, most of their most of their titles were done with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, Thor, X Men, Spider Man was done with Steve Ditko. So Steve Ditko, yeah, you gotta love him. I yeah. liked his art. 
Yeah, you, he's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's still around. You should interview. You should he's have really? him on his podcast. Gosh, yeah. He must be in his 70s. He's probably in his 80s. 80s? Yeah, yeah, he works out of a studio in Times Square and apparently doesn't ever really make any public appearances. He's wow. just up there doing who knows what. But hmm. uh, yeah, so Mar- Marvel. Uh, but it's funny, the way Marvel uh, took the lead away from DC also involves another one of these ridiculous double crosses where. Um, mostly, you know, their prices of the two companies, the comics kind of move concurrently. And so this is a story I was told, whether or not it's true, I don't know, but this is a story I was told by the editor-in-chief at the time, was DC had planned to raise their price from 15 cents to 25 cents. So the head of DC goes and talks to the head of Marvel and says, hey, we're going to do this. You ought to raise your price as well, which, you know, may or may not be legal, I I won't say, (laughs) but, uh, you know, price fixing. Anyway, so apparently... Martin Goodman, the head of Marvel at the time, said, okay, we'll raise our price to 25 cents. So DC raises its price to 25 cents. A few months later, Marvel raises its price to 25 cents. But then the very next month, Marvel basically reneges on the agreement and drops its price back down to 20 cents. So uh, Martin Goodman, the head of Marvel, basically told someone within Marvel that he was going to make DC take a bath. Those were his words. And so he reneged on this agreement Suddenly, Marvel Comics are much cheaper at 20 cents than DC's at 25 cents. You know, a kid who has a dollar walks into the five and dime. He can get five Marvel Comics versus four DC Comics. And so Marvel Comics sales zoom ahead at that point, And that's what put Marvel ahead of DC finally. That's, I love it's like old school mafia. It really techniques. is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, but you know? it, yeah, it's it, there, there's something else that I read in, in one of the things that you were talking about how there was some guys that were using pen names and working for both at the same time. That's right. How's that even possible? Well, that was in the 60s. So DC was the premier company. You know, they had a, you know, beautiful offices in a midtown Manhattan skyscraper and Marvel was this kind of crappy little, you know, also ran company. It had almost gone out of business in the 50s. By the early 60s, they had basically one employee that was Stan Lee. And so, you know, these these freelancers who were working for DC, that represented security. You know, they paid well. It was a steady paycheck. And when Marvel started coming up in the early 60s, you know, they could see that Marvel was doing interesting things. They wanted to go draw for them, but they didn't want to um, tick off DC enough that they would be fired by DC. So they went over to Marvel with the caveat that they were allowed to use pen names. And so you have all these artists going over in in the early 60s using fake names. Um, Is there one that, that you recall that stands out? Uh, what their fake names were? Yeah. I can't remember. So there was no famous artist that wasn't real. Well, I mean... Like there, if you say Steve Ditko was not a real guy, no, really no, 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 no. You know, there was a guy... They Basically, when they created their pen names, a lot of them would take like their middle name and then the first name of their child, and that's how they come up with their pen name. <laughs> um, but you said you were talking about Gosh. Neil Adams earlier. Yeah. Neil Adams uh, was probably the the hottest artist in the business. He was working at DC for a while. He had a lot of power. Uh, he went over to talk to Stanley, and Stanley offered him any comic he wanted to do. He chose the X-Men. Really? Yeah. And so he said, all right, I want to draw the X-Men, and he put his real name on it. And at that point... Basically- so he's Neil Adams drawing Batman and X. But the thing is, if you see... 
I don't need to see the name. I, I know what Neil Adams' artwork is. Well, that's is. right. You, you know, would know this. Right. And that was where kind of the house of cards came down with a lot. The fans who knew, knew who these people were because their art style was so, so obvious. obvious yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I don't know if it worked or not, but I think they did for a while be able to work at DC and Marvel at the same time. But Neil Adams ended that practice because he had so much power. He went back over to DC and said, hey, I'm working for Marvel. I dare you to do anything about it. Right. right and, you know, do. Infantino, who was running the place at the time, said, um, you know, okay, just don't let it interfere with your DC work. Mm -hmm. And so from then on, people could use their real names over at Marvel. And it's, it's funny, too, because there's a lot of, like, um, I always noticed that that if you know, whatever DC uh, superhero, there was one in, in uh, uh, Marvel that would kind of match it. Yes, like right. We've got Batman. We've got Spider-Man. Yeah. We've got the Submariner. We've got Aquaman. You know, right. we've got, like, there's, was there ever kind of any... Um, mirroring or copycatting that you know of like for sure oh there's all sorts there's yeah. all sorts um yeah it's funny you mentioned that because one of the best stories is um there was a writer named steve inglehart uh who was working at um marvel at the time and he introduced this character called mantis i don't know if you saw guardians of the galaxy 2 the movie i did okay so you remember there was a character called mantis it was played by this woman she had green skin and antennas yeah, like and, a praying mantis yeah well exactly so she, she, he introduced her uh in the avengers and a few years later in the late 70s he got a job over at dc to write justice league of america and so steve inglehart was at a comic convention and some fan came up to him and said hey you know i really like this character mantis um or is this mean that now that you're left marvel that we're not going to see any more mantis and he was he thought about it and he was like maybe not <laughs> so he started at, at dc and in the justice league he introduced a character called willow which is basically mantis and he <laughs> brought a marvel character over into a dc book and everyone who was reading comics at the time knew exactly who it was it's just the bosses at dc had no idea and they so know, they didn't know no one told them wouldn't no one told them exactly wow. so and they probably didn't care you know as long as um, the other company didn't raise a legal stink they just let things fly so there's all sorts of, of things like it's, that I like the one you said about wonder wonder woman Wonder Man. Oh, Wonder Man. Yeah. Again. So Wonder Man was a Marvel character that was introduced in the 60s by Stan Lee. And so once he came out, DC got a little upset because it sounded too much like Wonder Woman. So they, they came to Marvel and they said, hey, you know, we're going to sue you if you don't stop this character. So Stan Lee said, OK, fine. You know, I'll abide by that. They killed off Wonder Man. Um, a few years later in the 70s, DC introduces a character called Power Girl, which came out a few years after Marvel had introduced a character called Power Man, who we now know as Luke Cage. You know, he has his own series. Power Man, yeah, 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 yeah. Remember him? I forgot the, yeah. yeah, it Power was Power Man. Man, Luke Cage, Power Man. Exactly. Yeah. So he was introduced in the early 70s. DC introduces a character called Power Girl. So Marvel said, you know, wait, well, hey, wait a minute. You know, we... It's such bad names, though. Be so bad. It's terrible, no, it's right? terrible. Power Man. Wonder Man. Yeah, how long did yeah. it take him to come up with that? Yeah, you know, it's they terrible. Literally looked through the source <laughs> for five minutes. Uh, so Stan Lee said, well, you know, two can play at that game, so we're not going to kill Wonder Man anymore. So they brought him back. So now Wonder Man is a you know, big part of the, the Marvel Universe. He still exists? He still exists. How long is it until there's the Wonder Man movie? Well, he was almost going to be in the movie, apparently. Um, you Avengers? Know, or? Yeah, in, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, 
Nathan Nathan Fillion yeah. from Firefly, yeah, yeah, and course. yeah, so uh, so apparently he was all set to play Wonder Man, and he got cut. Uh, so maybe in the future it's we'll see Wonder Man. It's unbelievable too. I, I, I want to talk to you about this as well about the movie side of things. But um, before we get to that, you you know so much about this stuff. Obviously, you just didn't know it writing the book. Where did you find all of these? Did you interview guys? Yeah. Interviewed a bunch of people, um, you know, the people who are still left alive. A lot of the people from the 60s are, are, sure. are gone, obviously. But, um, yeah, and also the fans are so obsessive that some of this stuff has been chronicled so well gotcha. in these, like, fan-published magazines or... It's a part of the canon now at this Yeah, point. and so there's all these um, fan magazines and, and some professional magazines from the 60s and 70s where... You know, somebody would show up at Jack Kirby's house and do an interview and transcribe it. So you have all sorts of information that you can dig up um, from the time, which is really helpful. What these people were feeling and thinking, and uh, so did yeah. You, did you like? Um, did you interview Stan Lee? I did. Wow, how did you get that? Uh, I was, you know, he was doing something else. Uh, I work as a newspaper journalist by day, and so where he, are you from? From the New York Post. But where uh, are you from? Oh, I'm from Virginia. Okay, um, so. He was doing some some sort of promotion for some Marvel product, and so I got a chance to talk to him. And so did, I said, "Did he know you were writing a book about?" Yeah, this? yeah, he did. But he, you know, he doesn't. I don't know. Have you ever talked to him before? No. He's like a. He's a great guy. I take nothing yeah, away from him, but he has his stock stories that he just kind of he'll Does. answer. Yeah, you know. So you've heard these stories a million times. So he doesn't really give you that much he's information. He's not going to divulge what you want to hear. Right? He may not. And also he admits he has a terrible memory. And so he may not remember all this minutia. Which is what a lot of those guys say when they just don't want to talk. That could be. Yeah. That could be. There's a guy, um, uh, he used to run WCW, Ted Turner's wrestling company called Eric Bischoff. Uh-huh. And now he does all of these interviews about the wrestling world. Just, it, it just, I don't remember. I have a bad memory. I'm yeah. Like, Dude. Come on, it was 20 years ago. You remember everything, right? But yeah. some guys just choose not to really get into it all. Who was the best guy that you interviewed that gave you the most information? Ooh, all sorts. You know, we were talking about Neil Adams earlier, that, that yeah. famous artist from the 60s. Um, it's interesting. The people who give you the most stuff are the people that have nothing to lose. You know, they don't need a paycheck from these, these companies exactly anymore. Right. You know care. what I mean? No, they yeah. don't care. So they can speak their mind. So he was like bluntly honest you know the most f-bombs i have in the book came from neil adams where he was just <laughs> like some of the stuff that he told you just all sorts of stuff like um where he was he would tell me about a lot of what i write about in the book was how dc got left behind by marvel you know dc was the premier company they had superman they had batman they had wonder woman and then the 60s marvel is this nothing company with one employee that kind of comes up and punches them in the mouth and they don't really know what's going on. So that's really what a lot of the book is about. So Neil Adams would tell me about what it was like inside DC in the 60s and how clueless these executives were. You know, these guys, these executives who wore suits and they arrived in chauffeured limousines and, you know, they didn't know what was really going on on the ground. And so when Marvel starts to challenge them, they're trying to figure out desperately, like, what's going on you know how can marvel be beating us and they would hold these famous meetings where they would gather all the people all these like elderly editors and executives in a conference room they would pin marvel comics up on the wall and they would go around the room and they would say okay you know so what are they doing that we're not doing how is marvel beating us and you know they go to the first editor and the first executive and that you know they'd have these clueless answers like one famous uh answer was maybe marvel is using more red on their covers and that's why they're beating us <laughs> or maybe marvel has more words on their covers and that's why they're beating us and so 
he was really good at um, capturing the 60s for me about what was going on in the industry at the time. Hmm. Um, it's so interesting, once again, because I'm comparing this to, to it's over now, but um, and and the people who listen to the show understand this. The the the, w, the Monday Night Wars, right? If you're familiar, yeah, yeah. WCW versus WWE, and it was getting so petty that I literally remember. So both shows would start at eight o'clock, but Turner's uh, show it's Turner's company, so they can start a minute earlier. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, we got our pyro on. <laughs> 10 seconds before Raw started. And they literally, dude, people jumping up and down, like, our pyro went off first. As if the pyro is like, yeah. that's what's If you want to watch, you're going to watch whatever you want to watch. It's not the pyro that's going to catch you. But yeah. Like you said, they've got more red in the covers. Well, let's give them more red. Yeah. But, but how are they beat us? Because their pyro's on first. Well, get our pyro on first. <laughs> right. And it's just, you get so involved in this rivalry mm-hmm. where you start losing control of what it's really about which is good stories right and good characters well exactly right? and i think it's so much easier to change things and identify things on a micro level like you say the pyro that's easy to change that as opposed to that macro level of right. maybe our characters yeah. better yeah. stories yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe our, our characters aren't interesting enough maybe right. we're not doing the right marketing and so it was much easier for them to kind of bury their head in the sand and it sounds like it's the same with, with in the wrestling world it, it really there's a lot of similarities and that's the thing that really intrigued me about this whole concept and subject but let, let me something else when you mentioned the 70s uh 72 marvel overtook and they're yeah. selling a million uh, copies every month of certain titles. It sounds like some of these guys would almost be like rock stars. Like, are the artists or the writers? Are they making big money? Are they starting to get uh, to that level? No, not at the time, and in part because they didn't own their creations at the mm-hmm. time. You know, the famously Siegel and Schuster, who created Superman. You know, they died broke because wow. they sold Superman for one hundred and forty dollars to DC Comics back in the day, and they had to fight their whole lives to even get like. Twenty thousand dollar annual. What judge stipend. would not like allow that, right? Well, I know, so and I, it's so ridiculous. And what company like DC would not just give them well, sure, know, I mean, even a million dollars a man. year? I mean, yeah, come on, dude, in. right? Yeah. So it was so only cutthroat. only in the seventies when um, you know the movie was about to come out. So Neil Adams really spearheaded which movie. Uh, the Superman movie. Okay. So really spearheaded this effort to shame DC Comics into giving them some money. So. In the oh, er- Neil Adams shape to give Sh- Sh- Siegel. Yeah, Siegel and Schuster some money wow. from the yeah. So they they got a little bit, but they still basically died broke, you know. Jeez. And so it's a shame. So only only in the '90s and you know after the '80s and starting in the '90s did the people really really start to make money, hmm. like a lot of money. I don't know if were you collecting comics in the '90s when that whole boom was going on and no, I was up by then. So explain that though. So, Tell me, like, um, uh, what's the big thing that uh, what's his name? McFarlane. Yeah, Todd McFarlane. What's right. The, what's the, his title? Spider Man. So, no, what, what was his big one that he created? That, that was, oh, Spawn. Spawn. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah, that was a huge thing in the nineties. Everyone was talking about Spawn, and also was the first kind of series of action figures. I mean, I had all the the Mego dolls when I was a kid: Spider Man, oh, Superman, Batman, all of them. Love but those. that was kind of the creation of the, of the smaller action figure style you know creations there right yeah exactly so it's unfortunate because the contracts until until the early 80s there was really no revenue sharing with the artists and the writers they did not get a cut of the money that was coming in from these these titles and so you know they got a page rate so they got paid paid you know whatever it was Mm. per page to, to write or to draw it and so but starting in the 90s, they started to reap benefits from sales. And in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, sales skyrocketed, right, especially right. with Marvel. And so Marvel released you know, a few titles that sold 3 million copies. You know, some titles were selling 5 million like copies. Which ones? 
So Todd McFarlane, you mentioned he was a famous artist on Spider-Man. They gave him his own Spider-Man title just gotcha. called Spider-Man. And that sold, you know, they every month somebody was breaking the Guinness Book of World Records for most sold. Like the, the glory years before the crash, the right? The glory years, yeah. They released a new X-Men title that sold millions. And it was crazy. The uh, I talked to the writer, this guy named Chris Claremont, who wrote the X-Men for years and years and years. And this was... In the 70s? Or? In the 70s yeah. and the 80s and then up to the early name, 90s. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he basically bought his own plane off royalties, he told me. Yeah. Wow. Which is crazy. And uh, Tell the story I read in, in, the, uh, in uh, the fact sheet where they took him up for dinner or something like that. that, that uh, yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. So that was, a, you know, you're talking about these petty, these petty things that companies do. So the, the employees in the industry were usually pretty friendly. So they, it was a small industry. They would all hang out. And so there was a time... Guys from both companies. Guys from both companies, exactly. So there was a time in the... You know, they would go out to dinner. So Chris Claremont, who, like I said, wrote the X-Men, he went out to dinner with a whole bunch of people from Marvel and DC. It was one of these, like, you know, these gangbang dinners where the check comes at the end and nobody really knows what to do. So short arms. Yeah, you know, (laughs) you know how that is. Nobody really wants to step up. Exactly. And so the DC people are like, you know, can we put this on our credit card? Should we pay? You know, it's taking 10, 15 minutes. The waiter's getting antsy. And so finally, Chris Claremont is just like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to pay for this. Whips out his own private credit card, drops it, pays for everyone, Marvel DC. So the next day, Chris Claremont gets an angry phone call from the head of DC telling him like, never, I never want to hear a story where you're paying for dinner for DC employees. Because basically, Chris Claremont was doing it to kind of rub it in their noses that Marvel writers had way more money than the DC writers wow. because the Marvel titles were selling so much more. So, wow. you know, he's got a private plane and the DC writers probably aren't making any royalties. Private plane from yeah. the comic books. Yeah. That's insane. It's insane. It's insane. Wow. wow. I mean, but there were people like Jim Lee was another huge artist uh, at Marvel at the time. He was drawing the X-Men comic books and he was making millions and millions of dollars. And, uh, these these brothers called the Q, the Cuberts. Have you heard of them? They were also drawing the X Men. They got a million dollar contract per year each just that's to work on the X Men. I never yeah. realized yeah. there was that much money in comics. Well, they're only only at that time, I think. Uh, well, but, when they, but, yeah. but it's like the glory years of the record industry in the eighties, or the glory years. There's yeah. a lot of that time frame where you made a lot of money for. I'm not going to say minimal work, but it's you know. Yeah, five, six, seven, eight, twenty times what you'd make today, just because of the way that 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 content is consumed now. Yeah. Back then, if you wanted to read the comic book, guess what? You had to buy it. <laughs> yeah. Right. You can't download it. Yeah, like and you now. can't sit in the back of the store reading it either, because as soon as you get your finger oils on, they're like, "Hey, you got to buy it." <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want no dog-eared copies because people started wanting it in mint condition, etc. Right. You had to buy it. Right. I know. You know? It's a shame. I mean, uh, I'm sure you're the same as me. I remember going to the comic book store monthly, and I'd have like I'd have to limit. So I, I've got I'll buy ten. 10 titles, mm. 10 comics. I don't mm. have enough to buy, so I'd have to choose. Yeah. I want Batman. I want this one. I want G.I. Joe I loved. I love Teen Titans. Uh, yeah. That was my shit. That Jericho, by the way, came from the walls of Jericho by the German power metal band Halloween and also the most useless Teen Titan of all, ah. whose name was... Jericho. Unbelievable. Remember? Is that right? That's yeah, a true story. What was his power again, Jericho? Uh, well, uh, he, uh, he, and it's funny because people always ask me, where did you get the name Jericho? And I use the the Halloween one because it's cooler. Mm-hmm. And I still love Halloween. But the, the Jericho guy, he was mute. That's right. He had sideburns and a blonde Art Garfunkel afro. Yes. And he was like an empath. Or no, he wasn't an empath. Raven was an empath. I, uh, 
That's right. Well, he was. There was something he was sensitive it was, about. It something. was not a good. It was really bad. Like I would say, like I was like, I used to tell people I love Aquaman, and there was always be a big controversy over like Aquaman. He's not a great superhero. I'm right. like, why? What's his powers? Oh, really? Okay. So let's say you're on a ship, mm. and the ship sinks. What's Batman gonna do? <laughs> Nothing. What's yeah. Aquaman do? Call a whale, yeah. take you back to shore. <laughs> right, it's a pretty good power, actually. Exactly. So, wow. but 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 I would say that that Jericho. That I'm just looking it up right now. I'm yeah. Like, on my phone here. I want to see exactly what he did. Um, oh, so oh, it's, this is not starting off good for Jericho. He's a, a superhero and an honorary Teen mm. Titan. So, what made you gravitate towards him? Nothing. Just the name. Just the name I just was liked cool. The name Jericho. I thought okay. that was a really cool type of an idea, but. You know, like I said, so I, I was really into that sort of thing, and but there was sort of there was rules. You could not read those comics in the store; you had to buy them. So yes. there's a lot more money at stake, right? Yes, right. Well, I mean, that's still going on. I was in comic book store here in Midtown Manhattan a few weeks ago, and you see the people. You know, they put stacks of the new comics out. You know, there's maybe 50 copies of one comic, and there was a guy. You know, very meticulously flipping through, uh, you know, examining the spine of each co comic to see which one is in the best condition. Yeah. So that's still going on. And some people would buy two copies because they would, didn't want to read it. That's right. Because if you read it, it's like buying an album and you open the cellophane. Uh, yeah. And that would kind of you know deplete the the you know the the, the value of it or whatever. But yeah. let me ask you this: so when you're talking about Marvel and DC, and you, we're talking a lot about the '70s and '80s, is that rivalry still uh, prevalent today? Oh, yeah. And how how um, I'm not sure important is the word, but how many people are still reading comics? Has it been affected as much as records and books and everything else? Yeah, but there's that's true. It's interesting. Yeah, you're exactly right. It right. has moved sort of out of the publishing realm into the movies and TV realm. That's kind of where the rivalry lives right. now because the comic industry, uh, you know, their circulation numbers are way down. You know, we mentioned Superman might sell a million copies in the 40s. Now it's lucky to sell 50,000. And so it's almost like... Um, it's almost like a lost leader for the companies where they keep these titles alive. You know, they can preserve the trademarks and all these things. But Almost so they can keep the IP alive. That's exactly wow, right. Yeah. And so there have been times over the years, especially with DC Comics, which is owned by, as we know, this big conglomerate, Warner Brothers, where the people at Warner Brothers would look at the, you know, the, the profit sheet for DC and say, why are we even publishing these comics? And this happened in the 70s when comics went through a rough patch. And um, so, you know, Warner Brothers would try to shut them down. And the people at DC Comics rightfully said, you know, we need to keep publishing these because, like you said, the IP. And also we need new ideas, new stories, new characters. We can't just stay stagnant with the same characters we have. Hmm. And so we need to – this is almost like an R&D lab where we need to keep developing new things. Right. Um, so that may be the way that they think about it now. It probably makes – you know, publishing, I think, does – makes us – decent profit but you know marvel's owned by disney i don't it's like a rounding error to disney well, the amount the of money they, they must be making from publishing right but so now like, the movies are where it's at so that's, that's the new kind of rivalry. yeah so that's where the rivalry lives and if you look online this is the fans have kind of lined up so there's that old school rivalry that i can remember from the 70s you i don't know if you remember this yes. yeah so you said you're a DC guy. A DC you know, guy. Did you ever get made fun of by your Marvel friends? I, I, like, I, I didn't really have a lot of. Uh, it was like it's more like like you would have a couple of comic book friends and you would stick with them and you would have debates, but it wasn't like there was eighteen thousand yeah. people that are into comics. There might have been four. Right. Right. And right. you know when there's. 
20 bullies beating up the comic book nerds. You can <laughs> yeah. take what you can get, right? Yeah. Okay, wait. Here's the quick segue. Okay. Jericho can possess a person after making eye contact with him. Ah. His body turns uh, substantial and enters the subject. While he is in possession, Jericho has access to all that host's powers, physical, mental, and magical. He's also able to tap into their memories. Okay, so he can basically can possess people. So... I don't know. Is that, is that a good one? Or no, I think it's a pretty, it's good, pretty good power. One. Yeah. But like you said, the character design, oh people should look online. It's I, like I, the I, worst I'll character design. It really yeah. is Art Garfunkel as a superhero. It's terrible. And he's got this kind of like medieval times outfit. Oh, on. yes. Right. <laughs> it's like we're looking right now. He's got uh, blue tights, uh, uh, a purple kind of a waistcoat, a frilly shirt. And uh, Art Garfunkel. <laughs> it looks like some kind of a cape there as well. So, And he can't talk. He's a mute. Unbelievable. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Marvel versus DC um, in the movies now. And it's very funny to me because if you just ask me off the top, man, I have to say this, I don't like superhero movies. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of very similar to me. But it seems like the Marvel Universe is killing the DC Universe. Killing. Killing them, right? Yeah. If you look at what happened with Justice League that just came out a few weeks ago, you know, Justice League was supposed to be the culmination of DC's plan that they set in motion with Man of Steel. It was supposed to be the buildup, but it actually did worse at the box office than some of their previous wow. movies. So they're actually losing viewers. And those are supposed to be like, the, you know, the big gang. Everybody yeah, wants to see it. Exactly. A little bit of everything. Yeah, right. So, I mean, Marvel is just doing such a better job of giving the audiences kind of what they want in a superhero movie. Their tone is much lighter. They have a better handle on what makes their characters great. Um, so DC is just kind of... They're kind of fumbling around looking for ways to make these characters appealing. Like we mentioned with Superman, I don't think they have a very good handle on who Superman is and what people want to see from Superman on the screen. This is not it's, my Superman. But but it seems like that DC was the first to do the movies, right? Because Superman and then obviously yep. late 80s, Michael Keaton, Batman. Yep. I can't recall any Marvel movies at that point. No, I mean, they Marvel has... They've really not done great films. You know, they had a real trouble establishing some of their films. Right. They had a famous um, Fantastic Four a film in the 90s that was so bad that it went straight to DVD, but it never was released. Marvel bought up all the copies. Really? So it never got released. Who was in that? This is oh. not the Michael Chiklis no, no. Thing. Oh, um, there's another one before that. Yeah, you wow. should. You you can see you can find bootlegs of it if you really? go to comic conventions, and you can probably see it on YouTube. It's so it's so ridiculously bad. Um, some German producer optioned it from Marvel Comics, and what I was told was there was no clause in the contract about how big the budget can be. So this guy completely <laughs> cheaped out on the budget. So I think the whole movie cost like a million dollars, wow. which, you know, even back then was like yeah. nothing. The thing should be about a million dollars creating him, so, yeah. So uh, it's, you should see there's one scene where, you know, Mr. Fantastic, his power is he can stretch. And so there's one scene in there where it's showing his arm stretching. But what they did was they took a long glove they taped it to a pole, and there's no hand in the glove, so they just basically pulled on the other end of the glove. So you see this glove stretching, and that's how they, that's how they did the special effects. Oh, yeah. it's terrible. It's, it's unbelievable. Terrible. What, was the, what was the first big Marvel hit then? Spider-Man in the early 2000s? Uh, well, Blade was one, but oh, I don't okay. think people... Yeah, yeah people I mean, it didn't know that was a comic no, book film. No, um, To this day, just right now, it's the first I've heard of this. Right, so that was one they licensed. Um, you know, they, they did a lot of that before 2008. They started making their own movies with Iron Man, but they, you know, they would license 
license their properties to other studios. So X-Men was probably, for me, is what really started it in 2000. And they licensed that to Fox. And I think Fox did a really good job capturing what makes the X-Men great. You know, they cast great actors. Because I can, if I'm here, just off the top of my head, obviously there's Superman, there's Mm -hmm. Batman. Now they've got Wonder Woman. Yeah. But with Marvel, I mean, like you said, it's Iron Man, it's X-Men, it's Spider-Man, it's now the Avengers, it's Thor, mm-hmm. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'd never heard of as a comic book. That was right. brilliant as well. Right. You know, um, DC, not a lot of options. Then like we, we actually had a little text joke back and forth about Superman versus Batman. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. Terrible. That was the movie I was so excited about, and then I didn't even watch it until about six months after because people were just saying how bad it was. And I was <laughs> right. on a plane one time watching it, and I was like... <laughs> And dude, I had to shut it off. I don't. I'm not sure even what happened at the end. I couldn't handle I, it. I was the exact same way. You where know? I I had the option of watching that on a plane or staring at the back of the seat in front of me, <laughs> and I chose staring at the seat. Yeah. You were the same way. It, yeah, I, and I believe, like I said, Batman is my guy. Like yep. I love the Batman. I, like Neil Adams. I remember Batman beats up a, a bunch of gang members, and the one guy goes Madre de Dios. I guess they're Mexican. <laughs> Madre de Dios. El, el, el bat hombre, whatever bat is in Spanish. And it's like they really went for the Spanish caption. Yeah. And, you know, like the whole 70s thing with the Raza Ghoul and all mm. that weird stuff. And I really liked the Christian Bale Batman. Mm-hmm. And to me, Michael Keaton is probably the best Batman, even though it was the weirdest choice. Yeah. Um, I just, ben Affleck is okay. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not offended by him being Batman, but I have a rule. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's more of a pet peeve. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you play a superhero. You can't go play another superhero. <laughs> right. So Daredevil just disqualified. disqualified. Yeah. yeah. Just like Green Lantern disqualified Ryan Reynolds. He should not be Deadpool. What about Chris Evans? No. He really? was already the Human Torch. He He's such be, a good Captain America. I don't though, care. Don't you think? You're disqualified. Wow. Okay. How am I supposed to know which guy's which? <laughs> right. Are you the Human Torch now being Captain America? I'm confused. I don't like it. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Sir has been Affleck right if that was his <laughs> sentence where he just he only gets to be Daredevil in that one that's terrible right, film it. forever. But that's the thing though too because and maybe you know some about this as well is there some kind of a rule that they have to put out so many superhero movies in a year because it seems they put so many of Mm. them out and it's sequel and it's group and then there's like you know ant-man does ant-man really deserve his own movie like come on man you know i kind of like ant-man okay i'm not saying it wasn't good well that's the thing is marvel is is Marvel is so good that you know they can take like you said these obscure properties and they can make them hits i mean they Guardians of the Galaxy stars a space raccoon and a tree, and it's They're you know it's a multi-billion star, yeah. dollar. Yeah. Whereas DC on the other side, they can't even make Superman work, so it's <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. So I you know I trust Marvel can take whatever obscure character is in their archives and turn it into a, a movie why? that I'll give a chance. Is there somebody at Marvel that's spearheading this? Or yeah. Why, why is Marvel so good and DC just missing the ball? There is, yeah, exactly. There's um you know the guy who runs Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, is a comic book geek. Oh, uh, right. You know he's been reading these things for years apparently he's such a nerd that he has all these like action figures and memorabilia he had to build a shed outside his house to house all this stuff so i trust that guy also they're they're really in touch with the publishing side of things so they you know they bring in marvel writers and editors who have been working on these characters for years to consult on the films Mm. and so like we were talking about earlier the publishing is a good R&D lab for what works. So, you know, they've tried out the stories, they've tried out these different versions of the characters, and now they know, okay, what do people like about Spider-Man? They know exactly what people like about Spider-Man. So they can put that on screen, mm-hmm. and I think they did with that Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. So they're, Marvel is very good at capturing 
what makes those characters click. Whereas, unfortunately, DC's characters, they're so old-fashioned. A lot of them, like we are talking about, were created in the still 30s. Still that vibe, yeah. Still have that vibe, and they don't know what is the way forward with these characters. And I don't think somebody has brought them a viable vision of these characters yet. And it's interesting. Like, if you're talking about the Avengers, like who's in the Avengers? Thor, Iron Man, Spider-Man? The Hulk. Hulk. Spider-Man's not. Okay. But you know, he, he is now, I guess. But, 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 besides, but the, the proper is Thor, Iron mm-hmm. Man, Hulk. Ant-Man. Ant-Man. Is he in the Avengers? Well, he was originally. Iron Man. Yeah. But all those characters can hold their own movie. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go to the Justice League, which is Superman, Batman... Yeah, Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. She finally. They, I think that was a pretty good movie. Yeah, right? it was. Yeah, it was decent. But yeah. you couldn't do an Aquaman movie on his own. Was well, one's coming out next year? Is there? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This seems like there has, is there some kind of a minimum that they have to do. <laughs> yeah, or something, I don't you know? know. You're wow. right. It, it does seem like that. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I think they're just trying to strike while the iron is hot, yeah. and pretty much any superhero film they put out now does okay, but. Like we're talking about with DC, it seems to be diminishing returns. So it's going to be interesting when Aquaman comes out. You know, Aquaman, I don't know if you ever watched Entourage, the I HBO did, show, you know, and it was that like, was the big that thing. was the big joke. Yeah. And then, so now it's actually happening. And it'll yeah. be interesting to see if audiences pay their money, pay their $18 or whatever it is. I wonder. I don't know. You know, because once again, the Aquaman's kind of got a bad reputation. Jason Momoa, he's, 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 he's hot sexy guy yep but is he a box office draw that you're gonna go see jason momoa is aquaman is right I'm not sure about that talks you know? to whales i don't <laughs> i really don't know and i don't know what the plot of that film is gonna be yeah uh, it's it's gonna that's gonna be a real test but i mean i think with the justice league they've already shown that that, that they've kind of right it didn't work it didn't work exactly and, but the way things are going so will there be superhero movies constantly until like you mentioned that disney owns marvel now. yeah so with Disney behind us, like the Star Wars movies, there's going to be a Star Wars movie every Christmas. Pretty which, much. Which I think is great for me. I love it. But yep. will it be a comic book movie every Christmas? Certainly and- on the Marvel side, mm-hmm. at least. Um, you know, Marvel, that's kind of Disney's genius is they look at these um, these things that they've bought up and they look at ways to exploit them that people... Basically, you know, yeah. I don't know about you, but I never thought there would be another Star Wars movie. I never thought there no. needed to be another Star Wars movie. And then Disney buys Lucasfilms and says, you know, why not? And, and they've all been... Well, there's been two, but they've both been very good. Exactly. And Better earned, than the last three Lucas ones for me. Definitely. You me know? too. Yeah. And the merchandise money that's yeah. really where they they, yeah, they make their bank and so um, that's kind of what they look at with these these properties and so you know Marvel is in an interesting position because you know they they've planned out what they call their phases you know phase one they introduce the solo characters and they end with the Avengers phase two they introduce new solo characters so they're coming to the end of phase three soon where a lot of the original actors, their contracts are up. Robert Downey Jr. Right. is probably going to leave. Chris Evans is probably going to leave. And so they're going to have to figure out, are they going to recast these roles and reboot with a new Iron Man? Or are they going to introduce these secondary characters and try to give us you know, Black Panther 2 and 3? Or Well, we've seen this, though, Reed, and that it doesn't – like, obviously, Robert Downey Jr., yeah, the mm-hmm. best Iron Man. But there's been 10 Batmans. There's been 10 Supermans. Going back right. to George Reeves, to Christopher right. Reeves, to Brandon Routh, and – you know, Adam West and Christian Bale and freaking Val Kilmer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's more of once again, we've been talking about this whole time. It's the story. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the character. And we love Robert Downey Jr., but I love Sean Connery playing James Bond, too. 
and I also love you know uh, Daniel Craig playing James Bond. So yeah, I agree. But I one of the I think one of the strengths that Marvel has established is is that all these characters exist in this single universe. Is right. that all these characters could pop up in one another's movies. Each movie leads into the next movie. So whatever happened in Avengers, I mean Captain America: Civil War, has repercussions on the next film. And so it's this one long story that they're telling with each movie. And so it's sort of jarring, I think, if they recast someone. And so they may need to just hit the reset button altogether yeah, right. and just start a whole yeah. new story, which I would be okay with, like what's, you said. Once again, they need the they need the content. So yeah. there's been, I think, three or four different Spider-Man reboots <laughs> yeah, right. in the last three, <laughs> right. in the last, in the last like, 10 decade. years or whatever it is. Yeah. As we wind down here, a couple last questions. Mm-hmm. Is there any new... Uh, characters coming out because it's like listen we're talking about like you mentioned superheroes that are 70 years old yeah now it's the same thing with rock and roll okay i went and saw metallica in a stadium this summer guns and roses in a stadium you two in a stadium <laughs> yeah. but who's gonna come up and play the next stadiums i'm not sure is there any characters coming up or is it even possible to do it do that at this point in time yeah it's a good point i don't think it is because yeah. i've wondered that and marvel and dc have tried over the years to introduce these new characters any, but they, any names they don't really stick. I would say the one thing that's probably in, within the last 10 years is Marvel had a series out called The Runaways, um, which was about a group of teenagers who discover that their parents are supervillains. Oh. And so they band together to defeat their parents. It's, it's a pretty interesting it's cool. concept. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, and so yeah. now it's going to be a TV series. I can see that being a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy, this yeah. weird concept. Yeah. It's not kind of neat. It's pretty, it's pretty solid. I yeah. think it's on Hulu. That's a DC? Yeah, it's a Marvel oh. series. Yeah, it's on Hulu. I think it's coming out soon. So, I mean, that I figure if you introduce a character in print and it gets a TV series, that's about as successful yeah, as you yeah, can I'm get. Sure, of course. But, you know, it's, is there merchandise? Do all the kids play Runaways? You know, do you have breakfast right. cereal from the Runaways? Do you no. have a talking tree that can you know, <laughs> say one word over and over again? <laughs> that's yeah, funny. I am Groot. So I, there there are successes like that, but... What about DC? Bring it back Power Girl? <laughs> Power Girl's still around. Uh, you know, I don't. Think... It seems like Marvel is as one. Oh, for... yeah. Well, just a hesitation. There. Well, I, there's a little bit of hesitation, only in that DC has Superman and Batman, and so I think good call. It's really hard to lose when you have those. Like Superman those... and Batman could be bigger than anybody in Marvel's pantheon. Maybe. Definitely, right? and so maybe this is right now we're living through movies and adaptations of the characters that we don't like but i'm sure in 10 20 years something else will come around i mean superman and batman seem like they're forever at this yeah. point whereas on the marvel side yeah i mean everyone knows iron man but i think the reason that we love iron man and kids know iron man is because the movies were so well done and so successful. And robert downey jr is so good robert downey exactly so that, is, is spider-man the biggest marvel or iron man spider-man is well i mean spider-man is the biggest merchandise character in the world so to me that tells me he's probably in the, the world in the world more than batman more than batman really at this point yeah wow which is i, I was surprised at that as well you know something that i thought i i think they're kind of getting back to it, but i always love the concept of spider-man was that the, you know peter Parker was a nerd, nerdy little wimpy teenager, mm-hmm. and they did kind of get away from that, but they've kind of brought it back a bit. But yeah. I always like that concept, like just like that's the real story, like this nerdy guy, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And that's the the Peter Parker they presented in the film, which I think yeah. was so appealing that you can root for this underdog, right. and you know he gets superpowers and 
kind of goes yeah, to yeah, another yeah. level. So I, I really like that. I'm with you. I like that version of who's your uh, who's your favorite. Song? I also like Batman. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I just thought he was the coolest. Uh, you know, the, the way he was illustrated was cool. I also like detective stories and mystery stories, Good and call, yeah. his were kind of structured as you know he has to solve a mystery, which I always thought was better than just he used his mind. You know? Yeah, right. It was better than just like hulk punching somebody out for 30 pages right, you know yeah, which yeah. never really interested me i liked plot and and yeah like you said somebody using their mind so who's your aquaman a little bit more obscure <laughs> oh man and you know what i've never read an entire an aquaman comic in my entire life <laughs> what am i missing <laughs> i don't know i just liked his orange shirt and green pants <laughs> and blonde hair what about plastic man remember oh yeah, hey, I remember him. yeah yeah i remember that cartoon did you ever watch yeah, that growing terrible. up yeah awful not, not good not good no nah. uh, what uh, is there any other kind of topics that you want to tackle in the future? Because I know you mentioned you had a, a book about the Duke and, and Clemson rivalry. Yeah, Duke. Uh, yeah, Carolina rivalry. Carolina yeah, rivalry. somebody joked that uh, I'm uh, like I've written two books about rivalries. I need a rivalry trilogy. Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's kind of a good. I know, you know everyone needs a gimmick that could be your right. gimmick. The Reed Tucker rivalry let's series. Let's do it. I yeah, don't know yeah. what it would be though. Uh, well, Pepsi versus Coke, that's McDonald's a good McDonald's versus Burger King. All the McDonald's is just one. Yeah, you know, WCW versus WWE has been done to the death. Has it? Okay, I think so. Yeah, but is so, there any other type of ideas that you have that you want to do? Or I, I got nothing. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I know. I wish I had something genius. Well, in the meantime, right you now, got yeah. Slugfest. Uh, it's a great concept and a great book. And I thank you uh, for doing this, man. Man, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I really enjoyed it. Thanks to Reed Tucker, his book is called Slugfest, Inside the Epic 50-Year Battle Between Marvel and DC, and it's available at Amazon.com. You don't have to be a comic book fan to dig this book either. It's a serious rivalry that continues to this day, and some of the stuff that Marvel and DC tried to do to each other to get to that number one uh, spot in the comic world is insane. So thanks again to Reed Tucker. Great to have him on the show. And thanks to all of you European fans who've been rocking and coming up to see us in droves with Steel Panther and Fozzie. We've been having just a tremendous time. Uh, Every show has been better than the last huge crowds great venues great people uh tonight we're actually in luxembourg for the first time our first ever show in luxembourg tonight february 7th we still got a handful of dates left on this tour february 8th in stuttgart at the porsche arena february 9th in zurich at volkshausa february 11th in barcelona 12th is madrid 13th in bilbao and we wrap up this amazing tour uh thanks to all of you who uh, are coming who want to come who continue to come And then we go back to the States and continue the Judas Rising Tour 2018 with special guests through fire, Santa Cruz and Dark Sky Choir. That starts February 28th in New Orleans, goes all the way through to April 8th in uh, Hampton Beach at Wally's. It's the same day as WrestleMania. How about this? Come see Fozzie early on in the day and later on the night, watch WrestleMania with me. I will stay at Wally's. Come on down, see Fozzie, and then we'll watch WrestleMania together. You can get all those tickets at FozzieRock.com. And don't forget to join us for the VIP meet and greet, one of the best in the business. Fozzie is one of the best uh, VIP experiences. We do a whole mini set uh, of songs that you're not going to hear later on in the show, songs you will some classic rock tunes that we all enjoy. We take requests, we play covers, we take pictures, we sign autographs, we meet you, we greet you, we do everything you need. Go to the FozzyRock.com website, FozzyRock.com. Check out the Fozzy VIP meet and greet and get all your tickets there. And also, I am bringing Words of Jericho back to the UK this spring, May 21st in Glasgow, May 22nd in Manchester. Sorry to say that one sold out in seven hours. Seven hours we sold out in Manchester. May 23rd in London. Get your tickets at Inside the Ropes. Go check that out. It's going to be great. Got lots of stuff coming up. So we'll see you then. In the meantime, and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. Yeah.